0: I'm going to ask you to grab three places in your Bible this morning. We'll begin in Matthew chapter 9, please. You can get that in your first hand, Matthew 9. In your second hand, Hosea chapter 6. Matthew 9, and then Hosea 6. And then in your third hand, you can get Luke chapter 7. Matthew 9, then we'll jump over to Hosea 6, and then finally, Luke chapter 7. And I'd like to preach to you this morning about loving the Lord unashamedly. Being unashamed of loving the Lord. As we continue our series through Luke's Gospel, I've been looking forward to this particular passage. And it's not that I find it has any uh, spectacular truth that we... Couldn't also find elsewhere in scripture, but it's a story about a lady who was broken by sin and found her way back to God through Christ and came to worship at His feet and express her great love, unashamed of who was watching, of what anybody thought. And every time I read that story, I think there's just no better position for us to be in, there's nothing better for us to emulate than the example of this woman. Because who among us comes to Christ in any better condition than her? We're all broken by sin. And this is exactly what God desires for all of us to meet at Jesus' feet and there to worship. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is having the meal with publicans and sinners. The Pharisees come, you know, and they're asking, why does He do this? Verse 13, but go ye, Jesus says, go ye and learn What that meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We've spoken about this verse on other occasions. I'm just reminding you, this was the heart and soul of Jesus' ministry. And he tells the Pharisees, go and learn. Go check this verse in the Old Testament. Can we check it together? Let's come to Hosea chapter 6 go and learn what this means. All right, Lord, help us this morning. We want to learn it. Hosea 6 and verse 4. O Ephraim, that's the northern tribes of Israel. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? Those are the southern tribes of Israel. For your goodness is as the morning cloud and as the early dew it goeth away. That means they they look like they're going to do right, but only for a short time. As soon as it starts to warm up and things get a little hot, their goodness is gone. Verse 5, therefore, have I hewed them by the prophets. Do you know what it means to hew? To hew is like taking an ax and cut something up. He says, I've hewed them by the prophets. Because the prophet is supposed to take the two-edged sword and whack, whack. These prophets that God sent came in and said, repent, repent repent. I've hewed them by the prophets. He says in verse 5, I have slain them by the words of my mouth. It cut deep. And thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. That's an interesting statement. God has been speaking through the prophets, telling this nation what he's going to do to them and how he's going to punish them. And he says, these judgments I'm pronouncing against you, these awful things that I am predicting are going to happen to you, they are your light. That's the light at the end of the tunnel. That will show you how to come right with me if you'll pay attention to these punishments I'm giving you. Verse six, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. That is what Jesus was referring to when he said, go and learn what this means. It was verse six. I've given you a little bit of context with it because Israel at this time, they believed that as long as you are mindful of a few thou shalt not and just offer a sacrifice occasionally at the temple, as long as God is a part of your life, that was enough. And that's all that God really wants. As long as you're mindful of a few commandments and try to treat people nice and offer a few sacrifices from time to time, All is well. And God's saying, guys, that's not what I wanted. I desired mercy and not the occasional sacrifice. The knowledge of God. What's he saying? I wanted a personal relationship with you. I want you to know me and continue to grow in that knowledge. I wanted that more than burnt offerings. Now as we come to Luke chapter 7, I believe this story illustrates that great truth in a tremendous way. We have three main characters. Luke 7 verse 36 to the end of the chapter. There's Simon the Pharisee and he has some other um, companions there with him at this dinner. There's Jesus who is welcoming and inviting the worst of sinners to come and worship at his feet. We read about this woman, unnamed, formerly broken by sin, but I love this. Forgiven, saved, unashamed. Man, that's how God should be able to describe all of us. Forgiven, saved, and unashamed. Unfortunately, throughout Jesus' ministry, He had been dealing with way too many Simons. (laughs) Way too many people that had an understanding of God that was based on their tradition and not the Scripture. God has revealed Himself to mankind and He has collected those revelations into what we call the Bible. And these people were familiar with the God of their religion that came from their traditions and not the God of the Bible. Too many times we still are dealing with Simons. Unwilling to learn. We studied that last week, right? That was last week's sermon, The Unteachables. Unwilling to learn. Unwilling to change. Stuck in his ways. I want to show you three things from this passage. There's an invitation. Then there's an illustration and then there's some instructions. So let's work our way through this, starting in verse number 36. And you know, before we do, let's bow our heads together. Let's pray and ask God to help us this morning. Father, before we move any further in this passage, I pray that you would come down and shine light on it. Lord, if you have to take your sword and cut deep, then cut deep. Lord, if you could speak to us and, and, and uh, shine light in some other way, if it doesn't have to cut, maybe comfort, maybe encouragement, whatever it is God Communicate to us, please. Help me to preach. Give us all ears to hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse number 36, we begin to see an invitation. It says here, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. This is incredibly gracious on the part of Jesus, right? Pharisees were not known to be uh, very fond of him, yet Jesus is willing to give Simon a chance And let this religiously stubborn man get to know Jesus on a more personal, maybe informal way. The Pharisee invited Jesus to eat with him. Now, on the surface, you might think that's a very kind gesture, right? This is a step in the right direction. Well done, Simon. But just let your eyes come down quickly to verse 39. You'll see that Simon had ulterior motives here. In the middle of the verse, this man, if he were a prophet. You know why Simon invited Jesus? Not because he wanted to learn something new or to honor the Lord. He invited him so that he could find some problem with Jesus, some reason not to believe in him. He was testing Jesus' prophethood, if you will. Look at verse 49. They that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? They were just waiting for Jesus to say something that sounded like blasphemy. So they invited him, yes but not to learn or to honor him, but to investigate. Now, I will say, listen, if if you're not convinced that Jesus rose from the dead and that he's the Lord of creation and that he can save your soul, if you have honest questions and you'd like to investigate and ask those questions, that's always welcome, right? Jesus has no problems with people coming and asking honest questions, but far too often people are coming around to a church or to other religious settings looking for a reason not to fall in line with what God wants them to do. In verse number 37, Behold a woman in the city which was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping. Before I move on with that, I want you to see that Simon invited Jesus but for the wrong reasons. Simon is now sitting down in the same room with God manifest in the flesh. But he's there for the wrong reasons and because of that he's going to walk away unchanged. You know that happens probably every Sunday all over the world. People show up in a church God's house, the Spirit of God potentially moving in that place, trying to speak to that person, and yet they walk away unchanged because they did not come to learn or to worship God in spirit and in truth. But then this woman was not invited, but she came anyway. We're talking about the invitation. Jesus was invited, but for the wrong reasons. This woman pitched up, although uninvited, because she heard that Jesus was in the house. And hey, if he's there, I want to be as close to him as I possibly can be. If he's there, I want to be there. Every available moment I can have with Jesus, I want to have that with him. I want to bring your attention to the word sinner in verse number 37. It says, a woman in the city which was a sinner. And that might strike you as odd. Why point that out? Aren't we all sinners? Well, yes, in the judicial sense, right? And this is the way you find it in the New Testament many times. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? We're all sinners because we've all broken God's law at some point. doesn't matter which law you broke. If you've broken a law, you are a sinner because sin is the transgression of the law. So in the judicial sense, we're all sinners. But in the Old Testament, many times when you see the word sinner, it didn't mean that judicial thing. The word sinner was used as a comparison between good people and bad people. There was the righteous or the just. And then there was the wicked or the sinner. And the word sinner here, used in the Old Testament sense, it's somebody who purposely and habitually goes on with a sinful lifestyle with no desire to change. That's this woman. That's who she was. She was a wicked sinner. Now, to be honest, when you read this in the Bible as it pertains to a woman, it often meant that she was a harlot that she was a prostitute a woman of the least character completely depraved she was a sinner it says in verse number 37 at the end she brought an alabaster box of ointment these alabaster boxes were fairly common but usually you'd keep these for a special occasion right the the oil or whatever perfume might be in this container It can be of great value, it could be of little value, but you'd bring out this box or this container on a special occasion and give it to a guest to make them feel welcome in your home. When she found out that Jesus was in somebody else's home, you see how this is premeditated worship? She didn't just accidentally walk by and go, oh, hey, there's Jesus, and step in. She heard that Jesus was there, and she must have ran home and got this box and said, I've been saving this for a special occasion. And there's nothing more special than what she's about to do. I hope before you come to church that you make plans to worship when you come. Brethren, we have met to worship. Now you should know that's what we're here to do. You should come with premeditated plans. When I show up today, I want to get as close to the Lord as I can. And I'm not going to be ashamed to love the Lord with all my heart mind soul and strength verse 38 it says she stood at his feet behind him weeping now let's explain that a little bit stood at his feet she's standing still right she's she's standing behind him but back in the day in these biblical times it was common you'd have a table in the middle of that room and then they would have couches around the table not chairs like we now know them where we sit upright with our feet directly under us but you would recline on a couch, and the couches were generally not so long, but your feet would stick, off the, uh, stick out the end of it, right? <laughs> off of the end of that couch. So what she's done is the table is there, Jesus is on his seat, his couch, and this woman has come into the house and is now standing behind him, but at his feet, and she's standing still. It doesn't take her long to go into this prostrated position where she, in, in an act of humility... Verse 38, She stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. You know, she stands behind the Lord here and she, she's not making a ruckus. You get that right. She's not, in, she's not there to get attention for herself. She didn't, she didn't go in obnoxiously saying things so that everybody would notice how she loves the Lord. She walks in quiet and just stands there and begins to weep. She's overwhelmed by her emotions towards this man reclined on the couch in front of her. Did Simon know that she was in the room? Of course. Yeah, they all did. We'll see that in the next verse. He knew. Why didn't Simon shoo her away? She wasn't invited by him. But Jesus invites any sinner to come as close as they want to come. All the time. Anytime. Always invited. Friend, even you. You say, you don't know what I've done. Even this week, even last night, you don't know what I've done. The worst in town invited to spend time at his feet. The absolute worst. Why didn't Simon shoo her away? Here's my theory on why. She came, obviously, to be around Jesus. Simon was probably thinking, this is a good test. Let's see, I've been hearing that this Jesus guy is a friend to publicans and sinners. He is known to eat with them and and talk with them and spend time with them, not participating in their evil deeds, mind you. But Jesus is known to spend time around them. So let's see if he invites her in and how he responds and reacts. This is probably Simon's way of testing the Lord further. He looks at it and says, this is Jesus' problem. Isn't that how religion always does it? Religion isn't there to help the sinner, (laughs) but Jesus is. She stands behind him. He's reclined on this couch. I think, I'm just playing this through in my mind, forgive my imagination for jumping in here. Jesus probably saw her there. She's standing there and she looks down at his feet, probably thinking she's unworthy to look him in the eye. She looks down at his feet dangling off the edge of the couch, and she realizes, much to her surprise probably, that no one has washed his feet. Well, this was counterintuitive in Jewish culture. When a visitor comes to your house in Jewish culture, you're supposed to wash their feet, anoint their head, give them a friendly kiss, you know, that holy kiss to say welcome. Jesus didn't receive any of that, and that'll be evidenced later in the story. Jesus tells us that. But This woman then stands there and notices His feet are filthy. And and what she is immediately seeing here is there's something I can do for Him. You know what's so exciting if you're saved is when you realize there's something you can do for the Lord. Man, that's exciting. Because He died on a cross to pay for my sins. I am now a debtor to Him. I am His possession and anything I can do please him to thank him to repay him unless we'll never fully repay the debt that he paid on our behalf but anything I can do to show him how special he is and when I see an opportunity present itself man I'm excited she breaks down in tears sees those unwashed feet and the tears begin to hit those feet and she undoubtedly kneels down next to those feet and the tears just keep flowing and flowing she didn't bring a towel. She brought her hair. And, and this was also counterintuitive to Jewish culture. A woman was supposed to keep her head covered with a scarf. She would have had to have taken that scarf off. A great sign of humility. Take it off and say, I, I don't care if this offends our culture. I don't care if this is not our tradition. This is my Savior. This man has done more for me than anyone else ever could. When no one else would take me in, he took me in. No one else would give me a chance. Society had given up on me. I had given up on myself. You know, a lot of people that get into this condition, this habitual lifestyle, they know they need to change. They want to change. But every time they try, they fail and they think, you know, I've just been doing it wrong for so long, why even try? And somebody came along and gave her a chance. You say... Pastor, I would love that opportunity. But you know, Jesus isn't here. I don't see his feet dangling off the edge of the couch. Are you sure? Because as best I can tell, the body of Christ is right here. He is the head, yes, of the body. What did Jesus say in Matthew 25? If you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. We can look around for an opportunity to show Jesus just how much He means to us. Maybe not physically to Him, but I can look around and go, there's some unwashing feet. There's something that hasn't been done for this person that I can step in and do. And I don't have to take it to some great important person. I can find this, the least of these, my brethren. So how can I make a difference, unashamed, to show this person how much the Lord loved me and now how much I love Him by loving them. There is a way we can fall in line with this story. This woman is weeping, washing His feet with her tears, and then the ointment. The ointment, you understand, is is not meant for feet. This isn't foot ointment. Jesus didn't have athlete's foot. (laughs) This ointment was meant for the head. But she opens the box And begins to anoint his feet. Probably after kissing them, mind you. Probably not thinking she's worthy to go near his head. (laughs) Thinking if I can just do the least thing for him. I will take my very best, this special alabaster box that I've been keeping for who knows months and years for a special occasion. Here it is. A chance to show the Lord I love him and I don't care who sees it. And I know you might laugh at me for taking my hair down and maybe that's not how we do it as Jews and I know the ointment's supposed to go on the head but hey, this is Jesus. I want to do something special for Him. Perhaps we need to ask this question, who brought this woman? Well, we know from the story somebody told her that Jesus was in that house. But, I, but we don't know the rest of the backstory. Maybe Maybe one of her friends told her about this guy named Jesus who could actually forgive her even though she was this horrible sinner. And maybe that is what sparked her attention and when she knew that Jesus was in this house, she goes looking for him because she wants forgiveness. Perhaps she had attended one of his sermons on some other day. And after hearing that sermon and letting the words sink deep, now she says, I know who I can go to to find forgiveness. Maybe it's that. But I'm going to go with a third option here. Maybe those things are true, but the way this story reads, I think she's already had a previous encounter with the Lord. And I think the Lord has already forgiven her. And that is why she is showing up to manifest this great love because she's already been forgiven. Now, as we go through the story, I think that will will come out. But here's the reason I point that out to you this morning. There's a good chance that most of you in the room today, you've already had an encounter with the Lord. You've probably been saved for some years. Most of you. How long has it been since you found your way to the feet of your Savior? How long has it been since your heart raced with anticipation because you have a chance to show Him how much you love Him? Could it be, friend, that this morning what was said to the church of Ephesus could also be said to you, That you've left your first love, but not this woman. Madly in love, head over heels. In verse number 39 Now, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Well, Simon, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. If he were a prophet, he would know. Later in the story, you're going to find out he did know. (laughs) But this is the fantastic part about it. This, what's happening with the woman, is exactly what God desires to happen for each one of us. That's it. It is the living illustration of what God desires. I will have mercy. I desire mercy. This is it. She had found mercy and now because of that mercy, she's madly in love with the Lord. We love Him because He first loved us. This is what God wants. He extends mercy. You receive it and you go, any God that would love me that much, I want to know more about Him. I want to walk with Him. I want a personal relationship with Him that's intimate and close and tight and consistent. That's what God wants. And rather than picking up on that, evidently Simon did not go and learn from Hosea 6. And he doesn't realize that what he's witnessing is the very reason Jesus came to the earth. That's it. It's happening right in front of him. Can I say this about verse 39? We're still talking about invitations. Worship was not invited in this house. It wasn't welcomed. Simon did not invite people to come and worship. When somebody would worship, he would pick it apart and find a reason that it was wrong. Worship in this home, in this occasion, this was a social gathering. This wasn't a a religious, spiritual gathering. It was a social gathering. Worship was awkward. Worship was unwelcomed Jesus welcomes sinners who want to repent doesn't matter what they've done if a sinner's willing to repent they're always welcomed at the feet of Christ but Simon doesn't welcome sinners who want to repent he wants to hold it against her the woman had changed listen listen the woman had changed let her be forgiven let her past be in the past if she's repented and she's forgiven let's move on But Simon was unable to see past her past. Worship was not welcomed. He's missing out on one of the greatest events in life. Listen, when a sinner repents, what happens in heaven? There's rejoicing in heaven. Oh, if, if we sing a song, Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. If, if, if we could just get on the same page as heaven for a moment, wouldn't that be so wonderful to see some broken sinner? Maybe you've known that person for 5 or 10 or 20 years and you think this person will never change. And one day, one Sunday, they come down the altar and they bow down and they say, God, I'm, I'm so wrong, I'm so sorry. Save me, fix me, clean me, forgive me. And your reaction would be, Oh, yeah, but yeah, you know that guy. You don't know what he's done. You think one little trip to the altar is going to fix it, buddy? I don't think so. We ought to approach each Sunday, each gathering with an eager anticipation. God, we want to see some sinner come right with you. You know the best way to build up that anticipation throughout the week? Invite sinners to come to Christ. Simon did not invite this sinner to come to Christ. She came on her own. Do you welcome the worship that is due unto Christ? This leads to the next part of our story, verse number forty. An illustration: Jesus uses this woman now to illustrate a point. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. I'm sure Simon's over there in the corner. You know, he's saying this within himself. Yeah, if he knew, he, didn't, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He's prophet? He's not a prophet. <laughs> if he only knew, he's saying it within himself. And then Jesus says, uh, Hey, Simon, can I say? Can I, can I tell you something? <clears> oh, <throat> uh, yeah. Hmm? <laughs> kind of snaps him out of it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm listening. I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. Now, Master, understand, that's in the way of he is another teacher. It's not that he's calling him Lord in that sense, but Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. Now, I think what Jesus is doing is using Simon's preconceived notions about this woman. In in Simon's mind, this woman has this massive debt, this massive sin debt, 500 pence. That's 500 days of work. That's like, what, two years? Working days? That's a lot of work. So in his mind, she's so much worse. She owes 500, but me, just 50. In other words, she's 10 times worse than I am. That's his thinking. So Jesus says, I got a tailor-made illustration just for you. You think you're so much better. (laughs) So let's go down that path. And now if I can just point out one quick truth from verse number forty one, it doesn't matter if you owe five hundred or fifty, you are a debtor. Amen. It, did you know it's not a contest to see who can outsend the next guy? Ah, <laughs> oh, you just have fifty? Oh, I got five hundred. <laughs> you don't you don't get a special prize for having more or less. It's not a contest in that regard. Fact of the matter is, everyone owes the Lord. Friend, even you. So, oh, no, 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 I grew up religious. I grew up in a Christian home. Even you. Now, I'll tell you something else we learned from this. Some people have sin more than others. Jesus acknowledges that. that some owe more than others. But, but when you get to verse 42, look at this part. When they had nothing to pay. Well, when it comes time to pay the debt, it really doesn't matter. If some have more than others, the fact of the matter is nobody can pay for their sin. No one can make that payment. It doesn't matter if it was 500 or 50. But you do need to accept the fact that you're a debtor. You know, I like the verse back in Psalm chapter 40, I believe it is, where David said, My iniquities are more than the hairs of my head. So give up trying to count them. They are more than the hairs of your head. Now, for some of us, we're getting better and better as time goes on. But they're more than the hairs of our head. So give up counting. But Simon, Simon was counting. And that's why Jesus uses the illustration he does. He's taking Simon's own way of thinking and going, okay, let's let's use that thought you just had. Let's run with that for a minute. I had a young man just last week, gave him a gospel tract, said, sir, if you died today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? He said, "Uh, yes. And I said, what makes you 100% sure? He says, I've never sinned. I said, is it? <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that, right? You, know, you, you, you feel like going, liar, but you, just, you don't do that. <laughs> and, and I said, well, are you, are you familiar with the laws of God? Because sin is breaking God's laws, so do you know the laws? He said, yes. I said, okay, so honor thy father and mother. You've always been respectful and obeyed them. Yes. Now, I don't know him, so who am I to say he hasn't? And I said, okay, thou shalt not kill. You've never murdered anybody. I gave him a softball there, you know, an easy one. He said, no, no. I said, okay. Commit adultery? Never done that? He said, nope. I said, even looking on a woman with lust in your heart because that's adultery in your heart? He said, no. I, I knew he was lying right there. <laughs> a- and then I said, what about this one? Th- thou shalt not bear false witness. Have you ever lied? He said, no. What do I have to lie about? I said, so truly you're convinced you have not sinned? And he said, I have lived a good life I said okay I said do you know what maybe one of the worst if not the worst sins is that you can commit he said what's that I said blasphemy against God to call God a liar is maybe the worst thing you can do it's blasphemy and he said okay well I haven't done that I said are you sure Because the Bible says in 1 John, I opened up the Bible and I showed him, 1 John 1 verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. (laughs) Because God's record says you've sinned and now you're saying you haven't. So you're saying God's wrong and you're right. You have just committed the worst sin a person can commit. You've said that God's a liar. He went, sorry for that. (laughs) And I got to take him through the gospel. Now, the the fact of the matter is, right, I don't care if it's 50, 500, 5,000, 5 million. I don't care somewhere you've sinned. You know, one of the most dangerous sins you can commit, and I believe Simon was committing it. Yes, Simon, maybe if you quantify him, she has broken 500 laws, you've broken 50, maybe. But look at the size of the commandments you've broken, And Simon, you're doing one of the worst things you can do. You've become proud of your own self-righteousness. That's a dangerous sin. Verse number 42. And when he had nothing to pay, or when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Oh, I love that part of the story. These two debtors come and say, listen, there's nothing we can do about this debt. I'm so sorry. We can't pay you back. And the creditor, the Lord, says, okay, forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? The payment that Jesus made on the cross can cover any and all sins. doesn't matter how much you've done or how long you've done them. Frankly, freely, no strings attached. He just says, come, if you can't pay and you're willing to admit it, then I have forgiveness full and free waiting for you. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. And then Jesus, again, using Simon's flawed thinking here, but he asked the question, tell me therefore which of them will love him most? Now, it's easy to maybe read that and go, oh, well, then this is a story to teach us how to love the Lord more. So if I want to love the Lord more, I need to go commit more sins so that he can forgive me more so that I can love him. Oh, shame on you. Right? Let's not do evil that good may come. That's not the lesson Jesus is trying to teach us here. What Jesus is teaching Simon is how to interpret this woman's behavior. You're offended that she loves me so much. I'm trying to explain to you, Simon, why she loves me so much. You're ashamed of what she's doing. She's unashamed because she has just had the record wiped clean. Jesus is trying to make that clear. Listen, she's loving me like this because of what I've done for her. Now, you're going to see this is going to go a lot deeper. Verse number 43 Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said, Thou hast rightly judged. You see, intellectually, Simon can figure this out. That makes sense. Simon's on board with the illustration. And now comes the instruction. Jesus is going to begin to unpack what he's been trying to teach him. Verse 44, And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon. This is great. He's looking at the woman. Jesus is admiring what the woman's doing and he's teaching Simon a lesson you know what could happen somebody might just come this morning and just worship God somebody might just testify and say it's good to be saved and I'm glad I'm forgiven and the Lord's looking down on them pleased with what they're doing or saying but he's trying to teach you a lesson Just what he's trying to teach Simon. You see this one, you see that one, you see that one that loves me so much. Why is it you don't love me that much? What's the difference? Why does your heart not ring with the same tune as theirs? Verse number 44, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me, help me me, church, how much water? No water for my feet but she hath washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Listen, she gave of herself. She didn't bring a pitcher of water and a towel. She brought tears and hair. She gave of herself, living sacrifice. She presented her body a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 45, thou gavest me no kiss, But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. Verse 46, my head with oil thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Simon has to be looking at that, going, I guess I haven't been much of a host But It's not just a matter of how to show hospitality. That's not the lesson. The lesson is, she's loving me. Why do you have an issue with that? What do we do with Jesus? Just follow a few rules? No, we're supposed to be in love with him. That's what he desires, a personal knowledge, an appreciation of his mercy, not just going through the rituals. Verse 47, wherefore I say unto thee, he comes to the point, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. See, he's not saying because she has done these things, now she is forgiven. She is forgiven, and that's why she's doing these things. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Her outward expression of love is evidence that she's been forgiven already, which is why I say there must have been a previous interaction between her and the Lord. He goes on to say, For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. I believe Simon is being challenged to consider right here, have you been forgiven? That's got to go through his mind now. She's loving much because she was forgiven much. Did Simon love a little? Look at verse 44, gave us me no water. Verse 45, no kiss. Verse 46, oil thou didst not anoint. No oil, no kiss. No water, no towel, no love because there's no forgiveness. That's the instruction. Simon, you've missed it. You think that God desires a few rules to be followed, sacrifices to be given, and all is well. That is not what God wants. This woman is what God wants. Somebody that will acknowledge 550 doesn't matter. I can't pay, but I know you can forgive me. And I love you. And I don't care who else knows it. I love you. Simon has got to be thinking to himself, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? This morning, I'm going to challenge you. Are you more like the woman or Simon? Which story rings closer to your home? Which attitude would we probably describe you as having? Simon or the woman? I'm not going to command you this morning to go through any external or overt manifestations of love. Okay, I'm not going to say you know, come down, that's how you'll do it. Or stand up and testify, that's how you do it. There are a thousand ways to show the Lord you love Him. You know what I'm rather going to focus on? Not so much of how you go about showing that, but I just want to remind you today, if you're saved, all of your sins are gone. I'll let the manifestation and how you want to worship and how you want to show that love, I'll let God and you sort that out because all of us are different with how we show love, right? You've heard of love languages. That's true even to God We all show our love in different ways. There are lots of ways that you can show how much God means to you. But the problem is the the thing that motivates us, that constrains us. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. If you will remember just where you were when He found you and where you are today, my friend, then you'll know the reason why I love Him so. Have you heard that song? If you would know where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, then you would know the reason why I love him so. Why, for some of you, it's been a while since you've thought about just how much God had to forgive when he found you. But if you've come to Christ, the record is clean. You didn't earn that, it was complete mercy. I don't want that to ever grow old in my life. I don't want it to grow old in yours. In verse number 48, He said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. I don't think the instruction for Simon is over here, even though he's now directly addressing her. I think Simon obviously is still listening. Thy sins are forgiven. This is reinforcement of an already present truth. Sometimes God has to come to us and just remind us, you are in fact saved. You are my child. I have forgiven you everything because sometimes, right, when we let that slip, we need to be reminded of how great that truth is. If you've lived a life like this woman, you might think, okay, Jesus gave me some mercy once, but I'm such a horrible person. I don't know if he'll keep putting up with me. And this is to remind her daughter, you're, you're still in, you're still forgiven. You know what, Simon's in the background listening to that. You know what he's, he might be thinking? Jesus didn't say that to me. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit, one of the things He'll tell you is He'll say, listen, go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Your sins are gone. If you don't have that inner witness of the Holy Spirit then you, like Simon, probably need to pay attention to that instruction. Go, Lord, I want to hear that in my, in my heart. Verse 49, And they that sat at meat with Him begin to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? That's that hard-hearted, stubborn, unteachable crowd. This is exactly what God wants to happen. He wants some broken sinner to come freely and unashamed, unabashed, and just say, Lord, thank you so much for loving me and saving me and changing me, and now you've doubled up and told me I'm forgiven just to reassure me. This is it. This is the interaction that God wants and the rest of the people in the room. Oh my goodness, I can't believe he just said that he can forgive sins. I mean, really? Is that, is that what they're picking up on? They did not even stop to think. I wonder if I need mercy. They're just looking at her 500. And can you just believe what Jesus said, that blasphemy coming from his mouth? They're missing it. Are you missing it? Are you missing it? Verse number 50, and he said to the woman, he he just ignores what those guys are thinking. He thinks this hard-headed, stubborn crowd, they're just not getting it. Let me talk to the woman who's listening. He said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. She comes in trembling, weeping. Lord, you've forgiven me everything. The record is wiped clean. Society doesn't understand it. But for the first time in my life, I feel free. I feel that weight of sin lifted off my shoulders. Lord, I don't ever want to feel like that again. And she's probably like a lot of sinners. If you're like me, after I got saved, it took about a year before it finally sunk in that I'm saved. And I don't need to worry anymore about those sins of my past showing up at my judgment. The sins are gone. I kept worrying about it and going back, Lord, am I really saved? Am I really saved? And then one day the Holy Spirit said, Mike, you're saved. You don't need to worry about it. Go in peace. You don't need to go in anxiety and stress. I said that when you put faith in me, you're saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be Saved. He's giving her assurance. I remember shortly after I got saved, I was sitting at, at my desk at work. I worked for a credit reporting agency called TRW at the time. They've now changed and become Experian. And I was working on credit reports and banging away at the keyboard. And I had headphones on because just, you know, data entry. And I was listening to music, Christian music. I had never listened to this music ever. I grew up on rap and hip-hop. Was so, don't laugh. <laughs> I did. I put my headphones on. I was working away. And I, used to, I was listening to different groups, but the Gloryland Girls was one of them. It was a group of girls that were juvenile delinquents. Got saved in prison as teenagers. They had come together to form a choir. I was listening to those girls sing. And I remember several times, but one day distinctly, just breaking down at my desk. There, the tears began to flow when I realized I'm saved. I'm not that old guy anymore. I don't even like rap anymore. (laughs) This this music does it for me. (laughs) You know, you're saved then. (laughs) It sunk in. I'm I'm different. This music moves me. I can relate to their stories. So I'll finish this sermon by singing one that meant a lot to me. For a long time I traveled Down a long lonely road My heart was so heavy In sin I sank low Then I heard about Jesus What a wonderful hour I'm so glad that I found out He could bring me out through His saving power. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He could bring me out and show me the way. Like a bird out of prison that's taken its flight. Like a blind man that God gave back his sight. Like a poor wretched beggar who's found fortune and fame. I'm so glad that I found out. He could bring me out through his holy name. Can you sing the chorus with me? Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again hallelujah I'm saved 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 by his wonderful grace I'm so glad that I found out he could bring me out and show me the way I'm so glad that I found out he could bring me out and show me the way friend if you're not sure this today this morning that Jesus could look at you and say the same thing as he said to the woman in verse 50. How about you come this morning and meet the Lord personally? No more religion, just a relationship with him. You can walk out of the building today hearing the Holy Spirit say to you, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. If you've been saved, maybe that encounter happened a while back. just want to remind you today, you're free. Free free frankly forgiven saved 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 let that ring in your heart let's all stand if you would please heads bowed and eyes closed unashamed to love the Lord how about you this morning perhaps you want to weep a tear or two perhaps you have another way to thank the Lord You can make an altar of your chair. You can raise a hand and say, God, here I am. Thank you for saving me 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Perhaps you go out this afternoon and say, Lord, I can't show you personally in the flesh how much I I love you, but there's somebody out there with unwashing feet. I can go be a blessing to them. And Lord, I'm doing this because I love you. And when they ask you, why are you doing this? This is strange. This is awkward. This isn't our tradition. You can say, I love the Lord. And I love Him because He first loved me. Friend, if you've never been saved, how about today? We haven't come to just go through the motions of religion this morning. What God really desires is some broken sinner unashamedly to come to him. If you've never been saved, perhaps you'd be bold enough. Listen, I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't point you out, but I'd like to pray for you. Sinner, would you just raise your hand and say, pray for me, preacher. I've never been forgiven. I've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, but today I want to do that. Anybody like that? You can just slip your hand up and put it right back down. All I'm going to do is pray for you. I won't point you out. All right, I appreciate your honesty. I know. I know it. I, I take this for granted sometimes, but I know a lot of you are saved. When's the last time you just went to God in prayer and said, Lord, I love you. I hardly feel worthy to say that to him sometimes. After all, the love wherewith he's loved me, a simple I love you doesn't seem to cut it, but hey, start there. Start there. Lord, I love you. Now what can I do for you? That's what the woman did. She walked in loving the Lord and found something to do for him. Lord, I love you. Give me a way that I can show that today. I'm going to do something a little differently. Connie has given me an idea there. Our pianist is playing number 483 in the hymn book. So can I ask you to grab your hymn books, please? And before we close in prayer, I'd like for us to sing this song together. Number 483. Oh, how I love Jesus. Great way to close our service today. Number 483. Let's sing together on the first. There is a name I love to hear I love to sing its worth It sounds like music in mine ear The sweetest name on earth Oh, how I love Jesus Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because He first loved me. It tells me of a Savior's love, who died to set me free. He it tells me of his precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me It tells me what my father hath In store for every day And though I tread a darksome path He'll sunshine all the way Oh, how I love Jesus oh how I love Jesus oh how I love Jesus because he first loved me it tells of one whose loving heart can feel my deepest woe who in each sorrow bears a part that none can bear below unless sing Oh how I love Jesus Oh how I love Jesus Oh How I love Jesus oh, us because he first loved me father we thank you today for that great love wherewith you loved us thank you for sending your son thank you for accepting us into your family and lord what a blessing today we can walk out hearing the holy ghost say go in peace you're saved lord please let it ring through our hearts and minds throughout the week how much you loved us and lord help us this week to show you how much that means to us. Please dismiss us with your blessing. And Lord, thank you for what you've done for us today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen.